1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
0: The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States,
2: people should not be walking around with masks. We
0: must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is were Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. i tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, February 14th, 2024, the 1,120th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So last night we had a special election in New York to fill the seat of, quote unquote, disgraced representative George Santos. I haven't spent a whole lot of time on Santos over the last couple of years because George Santos is a sideshow. We don't have real elections. So if somebody gets put in there and is just a sideshow, then you should assume that person is there for the show. And that is what I do assume. This is how the New York Times described George Santos at the end of 2022 after he quote unquote won his seat. They wrote, with the admission this week that he lied to voters about his credentials, Representative-elect George Santos has catapulted to the top of the list of politicians who have misled the public about their past. Mr. Santos, a New York Republican, fabricated key biographical elements of his background, including misrepresentations of his professional background, educational history, and property ownership in a pattern of deception that was uncovered by the New York Times. He even misrepresented his Jewish heritage. And who would do that? Certainly not generations of Kazarians. While others have also embellished their backgrounds, including degrees and military honors that they did not receive, or distortions about their business acumen and wealth, few have done so in such a wide-ranging manner. George Santos is such a bad boy. He lied about where he worked, he lied about being Jewish. And if you do those kinds of things, you are unfit to serve in America's illegitimate government. Just ask Elizabeth Warren. The freakout over George Santos right from the very beginning should have clued everyone in to the fact that there is something seriously, seriously wrong in that district. There was something strange going on. The establishment did not believe that George Santos was supposed to win that election. And it's probably because they control the winners of elections and George Santos just wasn't supposed to win. So it was like a mini Donald Trump sort of reaction. They immediately needed to expel George Santos. I'm not defending George Santos. I don't care about George Santos. But the reaction was still totally over the top, including from our side. George Santos is not embarrassing you. George Santos has nothing to do with you. Look at American politics and its illegitimacy. You think the biggest problem we have is some gay first-term congressman who lies about his background and makes a huge show of himself? For the 11 months he's in Congress, who cares? Small potatoes. But the establishment went nuts. This is the New York Times describing his expulsion on December 1st, 2023, in an article entitled, George Santos Lost His Job. The Lies, Charges, and Questions Remain. The Times writes, Representative George Santos of New York was forcibly expelled from office by a two-thirds vote of Congress on Friday, making him the first person in more than a century to be expelled without a criminal conviction. The move came after a report from the House Ethics Committee found quote-unquote substantial evidence that he had violated federal criminal laws. Mr. Santos, a Republican, is also facing 23 federal felony counts and is scheduled to go to trial in September. Ooh, did he break federal laws the same way that Donald Trump did? Did they have to find novel legal theories to prosecute him under? Almost immediately after his election in November 2022, the New York Times began scrutinizing Mr. Santos's background. Hey, why didn't you do it before, guys? Discovering that he had misled, exaggerated or lied to voters about much of his life, including his education, his career, his check fraud case in Brazil, his animal charity, being a landlord. The 2020 election results. Wait a second. The 2020 election was stolen, so that's not a lie. And his ties to the Holocaust and Judaism. It would be terrible if anyone ever lied about those two subjects. The September 11th attacks. What? I can't believe he would lie about September 11th. What did he do? Tell people that jet fuel could melt steel beams? And the Pulse nightclub shooting. Oh, yes, that accurately reported event. You can actually know absolutely nothing about the Pulse nightclub shooting and also know that the media lied about it. Because why in the world would that event be the only event that the media has told the truth about? It's not possible. Mr. Santos admitted to some lies, but he pleaded not guilty to the federal criminal charges. He has also broadly denied criminal wrongdoing. But even after the release of the House ethics report and two federal indictments, questions persist about his personal finances, his campaign fundraising and spending and his role at a company accused of running a Ponzi scheme, among other issues. So it sounds like George Santos has a long history of saying the no, no words and embellishing his record. And perhaps trying to make money in ways that weren't entirely legal. And I know what you're thinking. Why can't we expel the other 434 members of Congress? And the answer is, you can. But, but, they're not legitimate in the first place. And so last night, another rigged and stolen election in a long series of rigged and stolen elections occurred in Long Island. And a man named... Tom Suozzi has been named by the news as the winner. Mail-in balloting, ballot harvesting, ballot trafficking, early voting. They went the whole nine yards. Here is NPR. Five takeaways from Democrats flipping George Santos' House seat in New York. Republicans were hoping concerns over immigration would put them over the top Tuesday in a closely watched special election in suburban New York to replace the disgraced former representative George Santos. Instead, Democrats parried the attacks and flipped the seat. They note that special elections are low turnout affairs and don't always indicate what will happen in future elections. But that aside... There were some important consequences and lessons to draw out of Tuesday's results. And what does that mean? Well, that means they're going to tell you, based on the idea that our elections are free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the voter. This election result proves that people in a certain area of the country think certain things about certain issues and therefore, there are all sorts of lessons we can take from this and then use to create entirely new narratives. And that is what the purpose of this exercise is. But let's go through all of the slogans that standard issue villagers will now be repeating about the state of our politics and the state of our elections based on this special election in Long Island for a seat that will have a normal, regular election In November, less than nine months from now, Tom Suozzi will have this seat until the beginning of 2025. Takeaways. Number one, Republicans historically narrow majority got even smaller. So they had Representative George Santos there in the House helping the House GOP totally kick ass and change the country around. Even with an illegitimate president of the opposing party, they were still able to get so much done. They had these amazing committees, these amazing hearings, so much evidence that we had never heard before was presented to the American public. And they defunded all of the corrupt parts of the federal government so that they could shut the whole thing down and stop these communists from their continued encroachment into the lives and livelihoods of the American people. I'm just kidding. They did absolutely none of that. And George Santos was a non-factor. None of this has any significance whatsoever. But now there is one fewer Republican and one additional Democrat, thus making it even harder for the House Republicans to complete their bold mission of saving the country, as they told voters they would do before they got elected in the 2022 midterms, even though each and every one of them knew they weren't going to do anything. This is a narrative device. It has always been a narrative device, and that is why we are able to call these sorts of things three, four, five months ago. Was there ever any doubt that the Democrats were going to take back that seat? Did we really have to pretend everyone was just expelling George Santos because he's particularly bad and that the Republicans were going to hold on to that area? No, of course not. Taking the surface approach... The Democrats can't implement their agenda if Mike Johnson won't bring their legislation to the floor. Now, we talked about ways for them to evade Mike Johnson yesterday, and I still assume that we will see a motion to vacate probably within the next month. But who knows? On a surface interpretation, Democrats want to get close to that majority and maybe they can bring some Republicans to their side. Maybe. The discharge petition will become a regular thing in this Congress as the uniparty completely emerges. But as I said, I expect a motion to vacate regardless of any of that. Toward the end of the year, we've also been told what to look out for by people like Liz Cheney and by organizations like this very newspaper, the old gray lady, the New York Times. They've told us quite explicitly to expect Potentially a contingent election and certainly a fight over the electors on January 6th, 2025. They're not hiding it. They're coming right out and saying it. So they are going to try to fill that illegitimate Congress with as many illegitimate uniparty members as possible. Now, I know that might sound scary, but it's not scary. If I can see this stuff coming and you can see this stuff coming, certainly the people who are controlling this situation on our side of the football, can see this stuff coming. This was how this situation was going to go, and there was never any other way it was going to go. All of the excuses about why Republicans lost this special election are meaningless. Number two takeaway from NPR, and it's important to go to outlets like NPR. I know this is communist state media. I'm not making any bones about that, but they are telling us what their narrative approach, what their response to this special election is. We might as well listen to them because these are the paths they're going to go down to convince American voters that there is some way, some way they could imagine Donald Trump losing in the fall. Number two, Republicans continue to struggle in suburbs, education, crime, and now immigration. None of those issues has really turned the tide for Republicans in the suburbs. With former President Donald Trump as the likely standard bearer again for the party, their job is made even harder. The latest NPR PBS Marist poll found that almost two-thirds of suburban voters have an unfavorable opinion of Trump and in a head-to-head matchup, Biden leads Trump by 16 points with suburban voters. If the GOP can't get the message and the messengers right, it could prove difficult for them to expand their majority in the House come November, as many swing districts are in suburban areas. And how about that survey they're citing? Well, they link to it that surveyed one thousand five hundred eighty two national adults, not registered voters, not likely voters, just national adults. Only 1,441 of them were registered voters. I wonder what the other 141 of them were. The poll also notes right off the bat that 601 of these national adults were Republicans and Republican-leaning independents. So out of 1,582 national adults, only 600 were Republicans or Republican-leaning independents. So, we have one silly poll and the results of a fake election, and that means Donald Trump is in trouble in the suburbs across the nation. Now, that's not true, and it's ridiculous to pretend otherwise. But even if it was true, Donald Trump has more than made up for it with every other demographic. It is a pervasive and long lasting myth that Donald Trump is hated in the suburbs. We are led to believe that suburban voters are just liberal white women and soccer moms and that those are Joe Biden's main voting block. But that's a fairly reductive interpretation of suburban voters. Let's move on. Number three, Democrats show they can defend themselves on immigration. This race was dominated by GOP attacks on immigration. Republicans spent more than eight million dollars on campaign ads in this race. A huge number for a special congressional election they hammered democrat tom swazi on immigration on the airwaves republican mazi pillip even held rallies near a makeshift tent city in queens that houses migrants but democrats showed they can defend themselves on this issue by tacking to the middle Swazi said the border needed to be secured, called for a bipartisan compromise and supported the bipartisan congressional deal that was scuttled by Trump and the hard right. Pillip came out against the bill. So now it's being framed that Tom Swazi won this election in part because he supported the unipartisan compromise bill that was just rejected in the Congress and Mazzy Pillip did not support it. How about that for a narrative attack? Tom Swasey, they're saying, was tacking to the middle by supporting the unipartisan compromise. But what does it mean to be in the middle if you are supporting the uniparty? It doesn't matter if you support uniparty left or uniparty right. He doesn't have to pretend to be very democratic about immigration. He can go along with the uniparty right. That is totally on the menu for the uniparty. You can Disagree with the little R or the little D next to your name. You don't always have to do those things as long as you're supporting the Uniparty. And that's exactly what Tom Swazi was doing. And we are being told that the voters sided with Tom Swazi over immigration. They wanted something done about immigration and they believe that the Unipartisan Compromise is the only thing that can be done. Therefore, they voted in a real legitimate election for Tom Swazi. The voters could see that the only thing standing between America as it is and an America with safe and secure borders is Donald Trump and his political needs. And they took it out on the Republican Party by, quote unquote, voting for Tom Suozzi. What kind of preposterous moron would you have to be to believe that? Oh, here's one. Uh, That
3: has real world implications, and that is. That there was a, a resolution to the southern border that would have stopped illegal immigrants from streaming across the southern border, that would have stopped fentanyl that's killing American kids from streaming across the American border, crime uh, along the American border, and now in New York City, we're hearing all of this could have been stopped by a deal that Republican James Langford put forward. But Donald Trump told the Republicans not to do it. And so there's gonna be chaos at the border for the next year because of Donald Trump. And it had an impact in this race. Tom Swasey was on the defensive on the issue of immigration until that happened. And when that happened, when Donald Trump killed the bill, the reporters up there say the entire issue turned on its head. Swazi leaned into it and he won on the issue of immigration. Stop for a second, everybody. Listen to what I just said. A Democrat won on the issue of immigration. I'm so I I was so surprised when I was there, I'm so surprised now. That there are politicians that think they can do whatever they can do in Congress and it won't catch up to them. Always shocked there because it always caught up with them. And I'm still shocked that these MAGA extreme Republicans and the Speaker of the House are stupid enough to believe that you can openly say we're going to let fentanyl come across our border for the next year. We're going to let illegal immigrants come across our border for the next year because Donald Trump says blame me and we're going to do it. And it has real world implications. Republicans lose again, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, last night. And they aren't just losing because the stars are aligned against them. They're losing because of one self-inflicted Trump wound after another.
0: This is just the latest chapter and verse of that. So how about that? Donald Trump cost the Republicans another election, as he has done every single year since he won in twenty sixteen. Every other year Donald Trump has lost elections for Republicans. And that includes in twenty twenty when Donald Trump had massive coattails and all those Republicans won except for Trump. But yep. Every single year for seven years in a row, Donald Trump has been the reason that Republicans have lost, according to Morning Joe. And last night, Republicans lost because of Trump's stance on the unipartisan compromise. They are trying to recast Donald Trump as the person responsible for the fentanyl pouring into the country and all of these illegal aliens. It was never a problem for over three years. Morning Joe said we were racist for bringing it up, but now it's a huge problem and it's Donald Trump's fault. And the unit party tried to compromise to fix the problem. And Trump made it impossible for them to fix the problem. Because of political strategy, Donald Trump thinks he's going to win elections like this. But no, it turns out that the voters, oh, they're ready to punish Donald Trump for being too soft on immigration. The guy that built the wall, the guy that had Mexico send their troops to the border, the guy that talks about human trafficking and drug trafficking, child trafficking, child sex trafficking, everything that happens to women and children before they cross the border. The complicity of Joe Biden with the cartels, the guy that talks about all that stuff is actually the one that's soft on the border. And the people who want open borders, the people who do this as a program around the world, those are the ones trying to fix the border. Last night's fake election results prove, prove in quotes, that Democrats can win on immigration. And how do you like their new definition of prove? There is no proof anywhere in the world of widespread election fraud. There's no proof anywhere in the world that masks don't work. There's no proof anywhere in the world that your tax dollars and the extension of your indentured servitude are going to fund Ukrainian Nazis. But (laughs) this is. Special election result that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Donald Trump has cost the Republican Party nine months from now on the issue of immigration, according to Morning Joe. And I mean, that's an authoritative source right there. Number four, abortion rights continue to be something Democrats will run on with good reason. In addition to immigration, abortion rights once again played a role in Democrats messaging abortion rights and Pillips ethical records were the main on-air messages that voters saw. Democrats used Phillips saying she is pro-life and accused her of, quote, running on a platform to ban abortion, no exceptions for rape or incest. And they don't even need to substantiate that in any way. We understand Democrats like abortion. Republicans hate abortion. If they're going to tell us that abortion is a key issue on which they could win elections, well, they need it to be a key issue in all of the elections so that they can reinforce over and over and over again. Voters actually do want abortion with no restrictions, even up to the ninth month. That is what we're told voters want. And these elections then serve as proof that that's what voters want. They frame an election loss this way. Normie Republicans go along with it and they say, oh, we lost another one. Now we need to early vote. Now we need to ballot harvest. No, just like always, what you need to do is reject stolen elections, expose the fraud system. Don't go along with the mainstream interpretation, don't go along with the mainstream narratives. All of this is nonsense. Number five, candidates and money do matter. Democrats hammered Phillips ethics, likening her to Santos over Santos's face. This widely run ad begins. Same story, new name, and they link to the ad. It then shows Phillips and says she's, quote, about to embarrass us again, end quote, and goes on to drop the oppo file about unpaid bills from her family's business, and that she, quote, also owed more than $100,000 in unpaid taxes to the IRS, even filing a false financial disclosure, she's an ethical nightmare. Imagine Americans at this point being mad at someone who doesn't pay taxes, watching what the government does with the money and understanding what the Federal Reserve is and the IRS is. Swazi is a known quantity on Long Island. He's a former Nassau County executive and a former congressman. Democrats essentially build the race as a moderate adult in the room versus an extremist MAGA candidate. Sound familiar? Democrats also outspent Republicans $14 million to $8 million in this race, a massive sum for a special election. And so there we have it. Trump is bad. Democrats spent more money. Those two things aren't going to change. Democrats have all the globalist funding they could ever possibly want. They are able to funnel it through any number of different business entities and people and NGOs and philanthropies. And orange man bad style Trump derangement shows no signs of quitting. And then, of course, they win on abortion. They actually held their own on immigration. And, of course, they win the suburbs. I mean, think about those 40-year-old college-educated soccer moms who loved wearing masks. They are representative of the entirety of suburban America. And therefore, of course, obviously, Joe Biden and candidates like him are the only choice available. And because of all this, we get to tell you that Republicans lost again. Therefore, it's all Donald Trump's fault. We have an opportunity to reinforce all of these narratives about why Trump might lose And reinforce the idea that these elections are legitimate. You can just watch Republicans go out on television today and say that MAGA Republicans cost the GOP another seat in the House. And who knows what's going to happen now. Now it just gets really scary. Is Mike Johnson going to be able to stick to his guns, knowing that his majority is even smaller and that he could lose it or the speakership at any point? Oh, the suspense is driving me crazy. I would be even crazier if I hadn't been saying that exactly this was going to happen for the last four months. CNN listing their takeaways wrote, don't take away too much. This race was always going to take on national significance both because of the stakes in the House and the makeup of the electorate, which is largely similar to suburban swing districts in presidential battleground states. But Democrats would be wise to remember that Swazi was a unique and uniquely talented candidate with deep ties across Nassau County, where most of the voters reside. A former mayor, he became the first Democrat elected to the county's top job in more than three decades when he won it in 2002. After losing his bid for a third term and some time away, he returned to become a congressman, winning the seat three times, including a defeat of Santos in 2020, before leaving for a failed gubernatorial bid in 2022. Simply stated, Swazi had a record, and for all the ads launched against him, voters in the district knew who he was, a moderate, who courts labor and will aggressively push for the return of the state and local tax deduction or SALT that just about everyone on Long Island wants back after Republicans jettisoned it as part of their 2017 tax cuts. And I can practically hear the residents of Long Island screaming about SALT deductions from here. Oh, they're so mad about it. Almost everyone there cares primarily about this. Donald Trump responded to this election news last night saying Republicans just don't learn. But maybe she was still a Democrat. And he's talking about Pillip here. As we know, there's nothing the regime likes more. There's nothing the Uniparty likes more than running a Democrat and putting a little R next to that Democrat's name, knowing that they can fool virtually any American voter. To voting for that Democrat just because he or she has a little R next to their name. And of course, as I'm always told, any patriotic American is gonna go out there and vote. They're gonna make sure to vote and vote for every single person with an R next to their name, whether or not they're actually Democrats, whether or not they're just members of the Uniparty. You gotta vote for the people with the R's next to their next to their names. That's how we fix everything. We've gotta win rigged elections. We're going to save the country. No, the whole world by winning rigged elections. Let's go on with Trump. I have an almost 99% endorsement success rate in primaries and a very good number in the general elections as well. But just watch this very foolish woman, Mozzie Melissa Pillip, running in a race where she didn't endorse me and tried to, quote, straddle the fence when she would have easily won if she understood anything about modern day politics in America. And then Trump goes to all caps for the rest of this post. And I want you to listen very closely. Here's what he says. MAGA, which is most of the Republican party stayed home and it always will, unless it is treated with the respect that it deserves. He finishes saying, I stayed out of the race. And then in quotes, I want to be loved and I think there he must be mimicking Pillip in some way. He says, give us a real candidate in the district for November. Swazi, I know him well, can be easily beaten. So Trump does not sound particularly bothered. He does not sound particularly worried about November. But let's go back up to what he said there that I said to pay attention to. MAGA, which is most of the Republican Party, stayed home and it always will. Unless it is treated with the respect that it deserves. Now, that is exactly what I said a few weeks ago and have been talking about that has upset people so much. I have said you have to value your vote. You don't just say we're going to vote for everything on the menu because that's what we have to do in order to win in quotes. If the elections aren't legitimate and the candidates aren't America first, you cannot and should not be expected to go out and vote. Now, if you want to do it anyway, I'm not stopping you and I'm not going to try to discourage you, but we should be honest about what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. Our votes might not count, but that doesn't mean that there's no positive to showing up. And I've made those arguments as well. And you are welcome to come down on that issue wherever you like. But I do think it is a little ridiculous to try to shame people into silence or take them through struggle sessions. If they say they're not voting in November or aren't sure if they're voting in November, you might think it's something you, quote unquote, have to do. But other people think of it as a matter of conscience. You can't actually make someone go out of their house, participate in a political process they know to be illegitimate and corrupt and sign their name, use their voice to express Their goals and desires in a system that is inherently illegitimate and immoral. And that is what voting is in America right now. If you think you're going to win the country back through elections and you want everyone to go vote, well, then it behooves you to make sure that the elections are legitimate rather than just badgering people about voting. Donald Trump seems to be totally clear eyed about this. He said, Americans will stay home if MAGA is not treated with the respect it deserves. Do you feel that MAGA is being treated with the respect that it deserves? The answer can only be no. You don't change that by groveling before the people who are disrespecting you. They're not doing it by accident. They actually don't like you. They want to make sure you don't have power going into the future. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that Donald Trump says to go out there and vote. He was just giving speeches this past weekend where he said that exact thing. I'm not denying that he says that. My point is, and has always been, Donald Trump says a variety of things. He is testing different messages. He is looking for feedback from people. He is trying to draw the truth out about various issues. Sometimes he just floats ideas out there to get the response. My point is that you can't attach to one thing Donald Trump says and say, Donald Trump says this, now I have to obey. You don't have to obey a politician, even one like Donald Trump who you can trust, who you can respect, who you would follow into battle. You still are not required to simply obey whatever he says, especially when he says conflicting things. The point is to attempt to understand and to look at issues from a variety of perspectives, get all the facts, and then make the decision that is right for you. If Trump and other Republicans are doing their jobs and they want your votes, then they should be convincing you that it is worth your time and energy and your voice to go out and support them. You are not required to go do that just because someone has an R next to their name. And this shouldn't be a black pill. This shouldn't cause you to lose hope. The way to win is not by winning a rigged election. There is so much more to go. The goal of all this Is the awakening. Whatever pushes the awakening forward faster is good. Whatever hinders the awakening is bad. I've said this countless times on this podcast. That is the lens through which I look at these situations. You cannot tell me we need Republicans to win so that everything can be fixed. That's not how it works. Look at the Republicans. Have they ever fixed anything for you in your life? Leave Donald Trump aside. Has the Republican establishment ever done anything it told you it was going to do? Right now, you have members of that establishment going along with the uniparty narratives about elections and convincing you to support the election fraud apparatus as it exists right now. Go vote early. Go harvest ballots. Participate in mail-in balloting. Pass, pass, pass. Absolutely no way. If you don't demand better, you won't get better. And if no one is demanding that our elections get fixed in the midst of the most important election of all time, what sort of power are you giving away by simply saying, yes, I will grovel? Yes, I will obey. You can count on me to do whatever it is you say in nine months, in nine months. You know how much can happen between now and then to change your mind about a whole variety of things, not to mention changing the actual situation as it exists on the ground. So much can happen between now and then. Making a decision for yourself about what to do in this situation nine months from now is insane. And you do not need to walk around worried that someone might decide not to vote. And then what if we lose everything by one vote? And sorry, guys, I'm not trying to make fun of you directly. But the truth is we have to develop a thicker skin about this stuff. This isn't how to win. They are showing you it's not how to win. If you don't demand better, you will not be given better. You have leverage. Use your leverage. Elections are won and lost in the narrative battle. And if you want to make sure Trump wins, make sure that everybody knows there is no way anyone but Trump could win without cheating, which you can also prove. You can outline the entire system. When you pretend that system is capable of producing legitimate results, you give that leverage away. Now, speaking of election fraud, the Gateway Pundit has been cranking out election fraud articles over the past few weeks. My good friend, Brian Lupo, who you know as CanCon, has been doing a bunch of that. They have also had a series of FOIA documents released that were requested and I think sued for by a man named Yehuda Miller. We're going to get into one of those in a second. But first, they published a piece this morning. With the headline, Is This Joe Biden's Direct Connection to the 2020 Operation? Jim Hoft writes, A former staffer for Joe Biden moved into a lucrative lobbyist job after he left Congress. Green, this is Scott Green, founded the Lafayette Group in 1994 with a focus on public safety and national security needs of federal, state, and local government agencies. The firm is now headed by his son. The firm's website features a photo of Green with Biden. It also quotes Biden praising his former staffer's commitment to law enforcement, saying Scott Green was emotionally invested. It wasn't just a job for him. It was an emotional investment. Government contracts for niche support services for law enforcement and national security agencies have been central to the firm's business over the years, according to a firm history posted on its website. From 2012 to 2018, according to Lafayette Group's Firm History, it received contracts tied to at least one government program championed by Biden, the Nationwide Public Safety Broadband Network. The network, which set aside broadband Internet spectrum for first responders, was proposed following the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks to improve emergency communications in the event of disaster and endorsed by the 9 11 Commission. Among the biggest proponents of creating the network was the Major Cities Chiefs Association, a police association that hired Green as a lobbyist in 2007 and was represented by Lafayette Group until December 6, 2019. When the Department of Homeland Security set about launching the initiative, it contracted with Lafayette Group to persuade state authorities to participate in the network, according to the firm's website. In total, Lafayette Group has received more than $10 million in contracts for work related to the network, now called FirstNet, according to government data. Scott Green also reportedly purchased Virgin Islands property from James Biden and then extended him a private mortgage. What a nice gesture. Isn't that crazy that James Biden owned property in the Virgin Islands? I mean, what does James Biden do? Nothing except oh yeah, he uh helps Joe Biden with the family business, which is political corruption. I mean, Joe Biden was a senator and then vice President, and now he is fake president and I suppose you could say you earn quite a handsome salary as a quote unquote public servant for fifty years, but it doesn't buy you property in the Virgin Islands. How is Joe making all this money? How is his brother James, who doesn't? really have a job, making all this money. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's because they're selling out American interests to our global adversaries, who, by the way, from their perspective, are not global adversaries at all. They are global partners. They all work together to advance the same agenda. But back to the Gateway Pundit. Lafayette Group claims they played an extremely important role in the 2020 election. Their website claims the following. To date, our products are used by more than 5,000 election officials in 27 states. How about that? Joe Biden's buddy, Scott Green, and his company are bragging about their products being used by 5,000 election officials in 27 states. Also from the website. In 2020, we engaged with more than 4,000 additional jurisdictions and delivered an expanded set of products and services, including plans, trainings, exercise support and operational tools to promote and enhance election security among state and local jurisdictions, vendors, political campaigns and other public and private entities that make up the election critical infrastructure community. Scott Green served over a decade as a staff assistant to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee for then-Senator Joseph Biden. Biden proclaimed Scott Green was emotionally invested. It wasn't just a job for him. It was an emotional investment. LGI's products are the best received and most widely used offerings that we have in the election security initiative portfolio. Thank you to the team for The ongoing tremendous work, and that is a quote from U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, senior election security expert. That is what they have quoted on their website. I guess they don't name that expert, but that is the organization that was headed by Chris Krebs, the man who in the intro to my show says this was the safest and most secure election in our history. According to a Department of Homeland Security client, quote, if you look at any major initiative on emergency communications since DHS was created, it's a good bet that Lafayette Group was involved. And this follows the reporting in the Gateway Pundit from yesterday, also by Jim Hoft, working through the reporting on these FOIA documents by Yehuda Miller. The headline FOIA documents reveal secret 2020 election day meeting with CISA, Dominion, ESNS, Eric, FBI, leftist organizations, state officials, and others only recently discovered. Today we have evidence that a private meeting was organized by CISA officials on november third, twenty twenty at three thirty PM Eastern time with select members of a secret election security initiative. So the day of the stolen election, November 3rd, 2020, CISA had this conference call, this private meeting with their many partners in this election security initiative. The list of invitees, according to the FOIA emails, includes over 200 names of individuals, government entities, private businesses, media outlets, and at least one tech giant. The list includes a curious mix of members from Dominion, ESNS, Eric, which is the Electronic Registration Information Center, Amazon, Runbeck, those are the people who print and mail the ballots, Microsoft, Seidel, which is the company whose servers were rumored to have been seized in Frankfurt, if you recall that old story, several secretary of state offices, the Associated Press, and leftist groups. Several high-profile individuals were invited to the call, including Jennifer Morrell with the elections group, Ryan Macias with the Lafayette group, who was right there on the ground in Maricopa County following the election, Eric Coomer from Dominion, and Jocelyn Benson, the Michigan Secretary of State. The Gateway Pundit notes that while several liberal groups were included, In the invitation list for this meeting, no conservative or right-of-center groups were asked to participate. They also note similar reporting by J. Christian Adams at PJ Media in 2022 of a secretive event that was organized by the Leftist Democracy Fund and included state officials, election company representatives, and third parties to discuss election administration. The report revealed collusion between the U.S. government, the FBI, DOJ, EAC and CISA with progressive groups and individuals fueled by progressive money related to U.S. elections like the elections group, CTCL. That's the Facebook group and the Brennan Center, along with individuals from U.S. corporations like Microsoft. Now, does any of that constitute election interference? Of course not. And to understand that, you just have to think about what election interference means from the perspective of the uniparty. When you understand there's a uniparty and you understand the elections are fake, then the elections are just narrative devices to coerce consent from the people who believe they are actually selecting who is going to represent them. Elections are merely a stage play between the uniparty left and the uniparty right facilitated by the media and the rest of our popular culture. Now, as long as an election is only between the uniparty right and the uniparty left with maybe a complicit green party or libertarian party, then the stage play simply goes off as planned. But if somebody like Donald Trump comes in and gets a movement behind him, like the America first movement, like MAGA, well, that interferes with their election. So Donald Trump is actually the one guilty of election interference. It's like the uniparty right and uniparty left are two little girls playing Barbie. And all of a sudden, one of their big brothers comes in with GI Joes and shoots all their Barbies dead. Now, I don't suggest any big brothers do that sort of thing and wouldn't want to encourage simulated violence among children, of course, and nobody wants to see a bunch of dead Barbies around. But that's the problem with the whole thing being imaginary in the first place. If it's already fake, then introducing new elements is going to really ruin the stage play. And that's why they're so upset at Donald Trump. He's the one who comes in and says, hey, guys, I'm not going to let you do that stage play. If you're going to do that in front of everybody else. Well, you're also going to have to include this whole other element and uh, good luck. Just the process of his involvement and just the idea that MAGA might check on the results. That is what interferes with their election system because their election system is a stage play and that requires all parties to be involved with the stage play and to stay on script from the perspective of the unit party. It is not possible for them to interfere in an election. They are just playing out the two sides of the stage play as they have written it. Only Donald Trump, this force from the outside, this force who's disrupting the stage play, only he can interfere in the election. And it turns out from their perspective, he's the only one who has interfered in elections. He interfered in the 2020 election by causing people to doubt that the stage play accurately represented an empirical reality an event in reality prime. And he interfered in 2016 by doing the work of the Russians. Now, was Donald Trump doing work on behalf of Russians? Absolutely not. There is no reason in the world to ever believe that. And they've never shown any evidence. They've had investigation after investigation, and they have no evidence of coordination between Donald Trump and Russia. But again, that's not what they mean either. Russia, from the perspective of Of the Uniparty is that sovereign force that has contested them over the course of generations, of centuries, and of millennia, as Vladimir Putin just described last week. Russians, in quotes, that's their eternal enemy in a battle that has been waged from long before any of us were ever born, long before America was a country. When you hear members of the Uniparty or members of the global regime complaining about Russia or Russians, or discussing their interests or agenda. They mean those interests of sovereign leaders around the world. They don't see Russia sharing America first interests. They see America first, MAGA, Trump sharing Russian interests and becoming part of their adversary, which they have always thought of as Russia. You can see it in reality. Vladimir Putin talked about it last week in that interview with Tucker Carlson. And he even noted that there were times in Russian history where Russia's leaders have not been on the side of Russia and the motherland. And those points were where the global regime had infiltrated to the point where they had measurable control of Russia. Putin talks about those leaders like Lenin, like Gorbachev, the same way that we would talk about leaders like Woodrow Wilson or Franklin Delano Roosevelt or George H.W. Bush, or George W. Bush, or Bill Clinton, or Barack Obama, or the fake president, Joe Biden. But history is not going to record Joe Biden as ever having been president in the first place, because of course he's not. From that perspective, the global regime and its representation in America, the Uniparty, the evil twin faction in America, from that perspective, all of us are working on behalf of the Russians. From their perspective, everything they can do to protect the Uniparty party and its interests must be done from their perspective. There's no laws constraining their behavior in their attempts to keep Donald Trump away from power. They are defending their grip on their strongholds. We talk all the time about Ukraine being one of their strongholds, about Israel being a global regime stronghold, about Taiwan being a global regime stronghold. But we just think that the United States doesn't have that? You think the global regime doesn't want to fight till the death over, let's say, California? They have the cartels trying to take over the southern border states. They have CCP influence along the West Coast. The United States is heavily infiltrated by the evil twin faction, the Uniparty, and they have, or at least had, assets under control all across the country. That power is diminishing largely as a result of Donald Trump and MAGA. So of course they're this angry at him. Of course the effort to keep him from power is that big. Well, all of those old stories are being drawn back into the light by the Twitter Files reporting team of Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger, and Alexandra Gutentag. They have yet another limited hangout, or if you like, if you want to be optimistic— Slow disclosure operation to let American centrists and liberals, better known as the Uniparty Right and the Uniparty Left, know that maybe, just maybe, their government did something not so nice to Donald Trump back in 2015 and 2016. They actually interfered in the election. They actually staged a coup and tried to subvert a duly elected American president. And everybody just pretended for the last eight years now that that's just not true. Well, now even the standard issue villagers are being told you're not allowed to pretend that's not true anymore. The U.S. government and intelligence agencies interfering to keep Donald Trump out of office is now something that goes into the category of everybody knows, or at least it's mostly there. It's not like the mainstream media is admitting it. And you can look at the front pages of the mainstream media website, cnn.com, even foxnews.com. This story is not on there. A quick search for this story this morning turned up nothing in the New York Times or the Washington Post or the L.A. Times or the Atlantic. And maybe if the story makes its way around today and goes more viral, they might have to address it. But for right now, they're ignoring it. And on some level, I can't even blame them because this story is years old. Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi and the rest are treating this as though it's breaking news, but it's not breaking news. Now, despite that, it's still important for us to know about this story. It's important to know that this story is out there. This is what's going around. Your peers are beginning to have an awareness of this. If there are liberals who deny that something strange is going on, it's good to hit them with a story like this and say, I've been telling you for six years about this coup Will you take it from these liberal reporters? And hey, maybe that'll work because someone is ready to see this sort of thing. But otherwise, they're just going to think that you're rubbing it in their faces again. They're going to look for reporting on this from their side. They will see nothing and they will think you are a conspiracy theorist. So is this info op good for waking up the normies, which I know is our number one priority? Absolutely all the time. Our lives are lived totally in service of waking up some imaginary normies. But this isn't a simple, I told you so. This is something that can be placed in important perspective because of how serious it is and how long this information has been out there. Not that Michael Schellenberger or Matt Taibbi seem to have any idea about that. This is the Federalist yesterday. CIA started Russia collusion hoax by asking foreign governments to spy on Trump campaign. The CIA set off the Russian collusion hoax in 2016 when U.S. intelligence officials recruited foreign governments to spy on Democrats' American political opponents. On Tuesday, Substack publications Public and Racket, that is Schellenberger's, Substack and Taibbi's Substack, revealed new details about the origins of the Spygate hoax the U.S. federal government perpetrated on the Donald Trump presidential campaign. Quoting Schellenberger, multiple credible sources tell public and racket that the United States intelligence community, including the CIA, illegally mobilized foreign intelligence agencies to target Trump advisors long before the summer of 2016. The U.S. intelligence community asked the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance to surveil Trump's associates and share the intelligence they acquired with U.S. agencies, say sources close to a House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence investigation. The Five Eyes Alliance refers to the global intelligence apparatus that includes the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. And let's take just a brief tangent here to Examine Five Eyes a bit more closely. This is from their Wikipedia entry. So this is the CIA official explanation of Five Eyes. The origins of the Five Eyes can be traced to informal secret meetings during World War II between British and American code breakers, which started before the U.S. formally entered the war followed by the Allies' 1941 Atlantic Charter that established their vision of the post-war world. A Canadian academic with the last name Vucetic argues the alliance emerged from Winston Churchill's Iron Curtain speech in 1946, which warned of open conflict with the Soviet bloc unless the Anglosphere democracies learned to cooperate. Neither the sure prevention of the war nor the continuous rise of world organization will be gained without what I have called the fraternal association of the English speaking peoples. This means a special relationship between the British Commonwealth and Empire and the United States, the continuance of the intimate relationship between our military advisers, leading to common study of potential dangers. And just like that, our interests were permanently commingled with the British Empire that we totally, totally separated ourselves from in the late 1700s. And definitely, definitely did not reunite under after the Civil War or even as our country was systematically sold back to the British crown. And of course, we emerged from this World War II period, which, by the way, was never misdescribed to us in any way. The official story within the central narrative about World War II and everything surrounding it, 100% true. And I would never say anything other than that. I believe all of that history, because if you don't believe that history, you're anti-Semitic. And I'm not, I'm not anti-Semitic, guys. I'm not. And no, it doesn't make me nervous. I'm just making sure that everybody knows I'm not anti-Semitic. Gosh. And just one more quick diversion. They mentioned the Atlantic Charter. The Wikipedia entry on the Atlantic Charter notes that the charter's adherents signed the declaration by United Nations on 1 January 1942, which was the basis for the modern United Nations. So great. The charter inspired several other international agreements and events after the war, the dismantling of the British Empire, the formation of NATO and the general agreement on tariffs and trade all derived from the Atlantic Charter. In 2021, a document titled the New Atlantic Charter was signed by United States President Joe Biden and British Prime Minister Boris Johnson in their first meeting in Cornwall. So you see, in World War II, the United States agreed with the UK and these other English-speaking Commonwealth nations that are kind of part of the British Empire. We agreed to share all our intelligence with them. And here's the cool thing. Our intelligence agencies that aren't allowed to spy on American citizens are allowed to talk to those other five eyes intelligence agencies that are allowed to spy on American citizens. So our intelligence agencies don't actually have to spy on us. They can just ask other countries, intel agencies to do it and then get all the answers. And Hey, sometimes they have to share that intelligence with other partners like Mossad or partners in Russia or China. You might remember at the beginning of the whole Ukraine war, Joe Biden turned all that five eyes intelligence over to Xi Jinping, who then gave it to Vladimir Putin. That was reported in the mainstream media, but no one paid attention to it. Everyone just went on with the story about this Ukraine war that the comedic actor was surely going to win in order to protect brave Ukrainians and their very sovereign borders from the brutal invasion by Vladimir Putin. They had all the tools necessary, most particularly United States intelligence that had already been given to their enemies. But hey, at least they had US intel and funding and weapons and mercenaries and targeting, and they simply cannot say no to the United States and its allies, quote unquote, which happened to include those same Five Eyes nations and uh the European Union and oh NATO and the United Nations. All of these countries and organizations that united right after World War II to make sure that the Russian threat couldn't grow. Wait a second. Russia defeated the Nazis in World War II. How were Russians the threat? Oh, Russians were the threat because Russians are always the threat to these people. But let's get back to the Federalist. And you might ask yourself, why aren't you just going through the public article or the Racket article? Well, they're behind paywalls on Substack, this breaking news from these limited hangout reporters who are just gifted intelligence products that they then recite to the American public as if they have just investigated these situations deeply and have found out all of this seven-year-old information for the first time. Sure, they are breaking news about a coup against the American president by the intelligence agencies and interference in American elections by these intelligence agencies, but they can't just be giving this stuff away for free. I mean, right? These are professional journalists. After public and racket had been told that President Barack Obama's CIA director, John Brennan had identified 26 Trump associates for the five eyes to target. A source confirmed that the intelligence community had identified them as people to quote unquote bump or make contact with or manipulate. They were targets of our own intelligence community and law enforcement targets for collection and misinformation. This is the Substack reporters writing this. Unknown details about the FBI's investigation of the Trump campaign and raw intelligence related to the IC's surveillance of the Trump campaign are in a 10 inch binder that Trump ordered to be declassified at the very end of his term, sources told Public and Racket. If the top secret documents exist proving these charges, they are potentially proof that multiple U.S. intelligence officials broke laws against spying and election interference. The New York Post covers it this way in their article from last evening titled CIA and foreign intelligence agencies illegally targeted 26 Trump associates before 2016 Russia collusion claims. About halfway down the article, they summarize it this way. Former CIA director John Brennan identified the Trump campaign targets for Five Eyes agencies to surveil, according to the report. The U.S. intelligence community had identified the 26 Trump associates as people to bump or make contact with or manipulate. In spy speak, bumping is when a reason is manufactured to meet with a target of interest in order to develop a relationship that could lead to intelligence. So they create a false premise for a meeting. They discuss that false premise at the meeting, and now a relationship is developed. They have created the tone of that relationship, and then they look to exploit it. They were targets of our own IC and law enforcement targets for collection and misinformation. The source said Britain's government communications headquarters, intelligence apparatus or GCHQ was making contacts with Trump's associates as early as March, 2016. According to the report, the four year long investigation into the FBI's probe of Trump, Russia collusion claims found that the bureau's investigation had no basis in evidence skipping down. Intelligence related to the alleged surveillance effort is housed in a 10-inch binder, according to the outlet, which Trump ordered to be declassified at the end of his presidency and could contain evidence that, quote, multiple U.S. intelligence officials broke laws against spying and election interference. The whereabouts of the alleged thick binder are unknown. America First Legal responded to this reporting on X, formerly Twitter, saying yesterday, Schellenberger, Taibbi and Gutentag released a bombshell report that the CIA asked foreign allies to spy on 26 Trump associates. On behalf of John Solomon, we sued the Biden administration for denying access to a declassified binder with the evidence, and it sounds like they don't have access to that. Where is it? Could Trump have it? Could that be what they were raiding Mar-a-Lago for? Did Trump take their very special super secret Intelligence and now they can't get it. Gosh, that would be so sad. I would be very sad for them. Unknown details about the FBI's investigation of the Trump campaign and raw intelligence related to the IC's surveillance of the Trump campaign are in a 10 inch binder that Trump ordered to be declassified at the very end of his term, sources told Public and Racket. John Solomon, alongside President of America First Legal Stephen Miller, discussed suing the Justice Department and the National Archives over allegations that the agencies have wrongly kept from the public. Hundreds of pages of documents chronicling the FBI's bungled Russia collusion probe that were declassified by former President Donald Trump and AFL links to a John Solomon podcast. The government has argued that Mr. Solomon is not entitled to the records that President Trump formally designated him to access because the binder, quote unquote, no longer exists as such. So AFL and John Solomon from Just the News are suing to get this binder from NARA. They conclude the case has been fully briefed on the merits and awaits decision by the court. Absent a decision, we have requested the court to grant discovery for the purpose of uncovering how the DOJ and NARA handled the records from President Trump's binder, just as Biden was being sworn into the office. Now, I talked at great length when the Twitter files were released about what was happening with these releases. What is going on? Are these a limited hangout to distract us? Are they slow disclosure so that the mainstream public wakes up to what has been done to them and what has been done in their name? And it's a tough call. We have liberal journalists doing a very mediocre job of disseminating information that other people have known about and paid attention to and reported better for years prior. There was irrefutable evidence with the government's own documents proving beyond any doubt that elements of our government and the Biden campaign, state governments, etc., were coordinating with the tech companies to censor American citizens in their political views, if their political views conflicted with what the uniparty mainstream narrative was attempting to make the public believe. We didn't need the Twitter files to come along two years later to provide proof of that, but it was a massive media spectacle. So is it a limited hangout? Are they gatekeeping information by keeping people trapped in the past by confusing them, telling them that something is breaking news when it Definitely, absolutely, clearly is not breaking news and has been around for years. It's a tough call, but it's one that's worth thinking about. You can't simply chalk this up to, oh, thank goodness it's waking up the normies. Because is it? Can you go have a conversation with a liberal Biden voter who now understands that the person he or she voted for was censoring Americans intentionally in violation of the First Amendment and their human rights? No, you can't really do that. They'll tell you that maybe some organization did something bad or that Twitter used to be bad, but now it's even worse because Elon Musk allows racism. We keep confusing an opportunity to dunk on normies with normies actually waking up and understanding something. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm not saying it's totally unimportant. I'm just saying we should keep it in perspective and we should look at the people executing these operations. With at least some suspicion and some skepticism, nothing was preventing Michael Schellenberger or Matt Taibbi from looking at these issues six and seven years ago, except for the fact that they are mainstream liberals and hate Donald Trump and his supporters. And maybe, yes, maybe it is possible that that feeling for them is diminishing, but it's hard to say that they're awake. They certainly don't understand the impact of this or what it means. None of this stuff is new. Donald Trump posted last night on Truth Social. The caption reads only August 2020.
2: Happened and should never be allowed. We have it documented, we have it in texts, we have it in all sorts of forms. They knew about it, it was a terrible thing. Should have never happened and should never be allowed to happen again to a president. This should never happen again. This was a setup like we've never seen. I think it's the political crime of the century. And they've been caught. So let's see what happens to them all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
0: That is from three and a half years ago. This is what he's talking about. We didn't need Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger to break this news to the American public. And we can be happy about the result. We can be glad that we are inching, however slowly, closer to full public understanding of what all this is. But we don't need to worship and praise these people. We don't need to make them our new mainstream media. There is an obvious effort to make these people our new mainstream media. You got Schellenberger and Taibbi. You got Barry Weiss there on the left. You can see the new very serious intellectual groups forming on Twitter on the quote unquote right. You've got the new mainstream media emerging that I talk about all the time. The Daily Wire guys, Tucker Carlson, Dave Rubin, Joe Rogan, Glenn Greenwald, Russell Brand, the Weinstein brothers. This isn't about hating these people or thinking that they're all worthless. I don't think that they're all worthless. I think some of them are worthless and it's possible that they're all worthless. But that's not what I think right now. The point is you can see a clear and obvious effort to create a new mainstream media for you a new group of authoritative sources. These are the ones admitting that all that stuff, the conspiracy theorists said three years ago and five years ago and 10 years ago, That stuff's all true, and we're telling you as the honest representatives of the people who hate conspiracy theorists, not like those dishonest ones who are still denying the truth after all these many years. Look at us. We just revealed the truth to everyone, so you can't be mad at us. You have to trust us. We're the good ones. Don't you understand? Yes, all our peers are really, really terrible, and they lied to you, but we are not lying to you anymore. From this moment on, we are telling you the truth about stuff that happened years ago. If you don't demand better, you won't get better. We can appreciate the net effects of this without going out of our way to praise these people because what they're doing is not amazing investigative journalism. What they're doing is not brave or courageous. What they're doing is something they get paid a whole lot of money to do and they are being handed Completed intelligence products for them to recite to the nation. Again, I understand the value and the timing of the narrative as this is released. Hopefully, it will create a society-wide awakening as to what has been done to America, what has been done in our name. But we do not need to glorify these people for finally telling us stuff that we knew six and seven years ago. Cash Patel, who helped Devin Nunes... Who, by the way, Matt Taibbi calls Devin Nunes because he has no context or reference to what any of this is. He calls him Devin Nunes in 2024. But Cash Patel helped Devin Nunes run the Russia Gate investigation when Devin Nunes was in Congress. He, of course, has known all of this. Yesterday, Cash posted on Truth Social. So how's this different from what Devin Nunes and I and Russiagate team found six years ago? Not being smart, just seriously asking. So Cash Patel is asking the same question that I have been asking of all of this kind of reporting, both from these guys on the left, Schellenberger, Taibbi, etc., and people on, quote unquote, the right, like Tucker Carlson. Why is this stuff only coming out now? And I am fine that there might be a very good answer for that. But even if that answer is true, it has moral implications that we need to deal with unless we just want to coronate a new group of authoritative sources and allow them to tell us what to think for the rest of our lives. Allow them to lie for three years and then say, hey, guys, praise us now for telling the truth. Sure, it's three years or five years or seven years too late. These situations have already had a profound impact on the United States of America and, of course, your own individual lives. But you have to praise us now. It's better late than never. We're the only ones in the mainstream who are telling you the truth even now. So that makes us the good ones. A few months ago, Cash Patel released his book, Government Gangsters. And on page 78 of that book, it says only about 60 percent of the documents that Devin and I discovered have been released to the public and the ones that haven't are even worse than people could imagine. I know because I've read them all. And it sounds like right there he is referring to this same binder. I cannot wait to find out what's in this binder. This Russiagate story is what blasts us far past just Joe Biden's corruption in Ukraine or Russia or Kazakhstan or China. His career of corruption, the perversion, the racism, all of it. This gets to John Brennan, it gets to Obama, and it gets to Hillary Clinton. And all of this, of course, represents a big chunk of that Rico Grande case that we talked about yesterday. Let's do another flashback from Donald Trump speaking to Maria Bartiromo. Thank you, Brennan bad,
2: they're all bad, everyone, Clapper is, uh, you know, not smart guy in charge of intelligence. But but here's the thing. It was impossible for it to happen. Without the man that sits right in that chair in the Oval Office, he knew everything. Do you believe President Obama directed the U.S. intelligence agencies to spy on you? Uh, yes, he probably directed them, but if he didn't direct them, he knew everything. Once it, they and you'll see that. By the way, excuse evidence. Me. You're going to see that when the papers came out. Remember the Lisa Page text to her lover saying, POTUS wants to see everything? Potus. They're not talking about me. I wasn't president. They're talking about POTUS. Well, there was a meeting everything. on January 5th in the Oval Office. President Obama was there. Vice President Biden was there. Clapper, uh, Brennan. And that's when the Logan Act came up. So should we believe that they were looking for collusion evidence? They couldn't find the collusion evidence. There was none. So they said, let's just use the Logan Act to First take them down. First of all, they snuck around White House Counsel. They went to see... A very unsuspecting General Flynn, he's a general, he's not a lawyer. They said you don't need a lawyer and they started asking him questions and they probably brought up the Logan Act and they probably scared the hell out of him. But let me tell you a little secret. They go knock, knock and ask KT McFarland the way they knocked on the door and many other people with Mueller. That whole thing turned out to be a total fraud. The whole Mueller investigation is a fraud. It was all part of the same deal. But they what they did to General Flynn and others, you know, we know about General Flynn. You'll find out about others, too. What they did to these people is is a international disgrace. And all over the world, they talk about it because this is not America. And hopefully the people involved are going to pay a big price because it should never be allowed to happen again.
0: All of this has been out there for a long time, but it's ignored because of who's saying it. it's because Donald Trump is saying it. It's because MAGA supporters are saying it and because only MAGA media was covering Donald Trump's side of the story. Mainstream journalists totally ignored it, despite the fact that all of it was well-founded and well-evidenced. And to be fair to Matt Taibbi, he has always described himself as a Russiagate skeptic, but that is not good enough. Believing that the mainstream media has not proven their Russia claims or even being able to see and understand that those claims are exaggerated, that's not the point. The point is what actually happened was foreign espionage, election interference, and then after Trump won, it turned into a coup led by our law enforcement community, our intelligence community, and the military industrial complex along with, of course, the uniparty members of our American government and the deep state, the administrative state that serves them. We have this tendency to imagine that things only become proven once they are accepted into the mainstream narrative. Now, that might be true if we lived in a world with no censorship, where people could just communicate ideas. But instead, we live in a world of rampant censorship and propaganda, which means that we have to develop our own standards for truth, our own standards for what we deem to be proven. If something is proven to you, it's proven. If you are listening to mainstream media and mainstream culture tell you that something is not proven, all you are doing is accepting their standard of proof rather than working on your own. You are an independent thinking human. We can talk about what responsibilities you might have in your belief formation and the expression of those beliefs. And I personally don't think. You are required to gain any public approval for expressing your beliefs, but they definitely should not be pinned to what the mainstream American media is prepared to accept as something everybody knows. So Trump mentioned Brennan, Clapper, Obama in this meeting from January 5th, 2017, where the Logan Act was mentioned. John Brennan was the director of the CIA back then. He responded on May 20th, 2018, because, of course, again, this situation is more than six years old. He responded to a Donald Trump tweet. The Trump tweet said, I hereby demand and will do so officially tomorrow that the Department of Justice look into whether or not the FBI and DOJ infiltrated or surveilled the Trump campaign for political purposes. And if any such demands or requests were made by people within the Obama administration, John Brennan quote tweeted that and said, Senator McConnell and Speaker Ryan, if Mr. Trump continues along this disastrous path, you will bear responsibility for the harm done to our democracy. You do a great disservice to our nation and the Republican Party if you continue to enable Mr. Trump's self-serving actions. So John Brennan was calling out Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, the Senate Majority Leader and the Speaker of the House in public. And this is that famous tweet where General Anthony Tato responded, might be a good time to pick your poison, firing squad, public hanging, life sentence as prison bitch, or just suck on your pistol, your call, hashtag treason, hashtag sedition, hashtag crossfire hurricane, hashtag Obamagate. Now, those are clearly harsh words from a retired brigadier general. Tata also served as the undersecretary of defense for policy during the last two months of Donald Trump's first term. And while on the subject of Russiagate, there was no bigger enemy character than one California representative Democrat Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff is right now running in a California Democrat primary for Senate against former L.A. Dodger Steve Garvey and two female members of the Democrat Communist Party, Barbara Lee and Katie Porter. And Donald Trump decided to take the opportunity last night on Truth Social to comment on that race. He wrote slimeball Adam Shifty Schiff, one of the true lowlifes in the history of politics in America, is running for the U.S. Senate. In California, a state for which he has done nothing but escalate violent crime, destroy by allowing millions of illegal migrants, push the Green News scam and all electric car mandate, perpetuate the homeless crisis and crime, defund the police, be bad to our military and vets, and stop water from freely flowing into the state from up north. Other than that, and his authorship of the failed and fully debunked Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, Pencilneck is a wonderful guy. Sadly, between rank, no choice voting and unlimited numbers of mail-in ballots pouring into places unknown to people that sometimes receive many ballots to fill out and send back at will. Californians are quote unquote screwed. Make America great again. Sounds like Donald Trump is pretty clearly saying those elections are rigged for Adam Schiff. And anyone who thinks California's elections aren't going to be rigged for Adam Schiff At this point, viewing things as they stand right now is crazy. Now, you might say Donald Trump's not going to win California's Electoral College votes either way. First of all, I don't think that's true. If we had legitimate elections and no illegal aliens were voting in California, I absolutely believe Donald Trump could win California, and I wouldn't be shocked if he did it in 2020. So the argument about not winning California's electoral votes anyway, that's off the table. You can say that California election fraud doesn't matter in terms of Donald Trump's chances of becoming president in this rigged election. But what does it mean for all the representatives who will be sent off to Congress? What does it mean for state politics in California? We can't just have states with totally rigged elections. It affects the citizens of that state and it affects the balance in our federal government. Who is going to fix California's state elections if people from outside the California Uniparty and the power structure have no chance of winning there? Well, the fix would obviously have to come from somewhere else. So where else? And people try to tell me that if I don't have an answer to that question, then I can't raise the question in the first place or else I'm blackpilling people. But we can grow up and understand that ignoring problems on the basis that it makes people feel bad to mention them doesn't actually fix the problems. And speaking of things that don't fix problems, let's talk about the House impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas. We were told by the mainstream media that Tom Suozzi won in Long Island because of how he handled the immigration issue, which indicates that Democrats could have success on immigration this fall by trying to pin it all on Donald Trump. And that happened on the same night that Alejandro Mayorkas was, quote unquote, impeached in the House over His handling as DHS secretary of immigration. This is CNN. Let's just go ahead and get the official story. House impeaches Alejandro Mayorkas, first cabinet secretary to be impeached in almost 150 years. They write. The result came one week after the stunning loss House Republicans suffered when they last tried to impeach Mayorkas and GOP defections and an absence sank the initial floor vote, a move Republicans had hoped to use to spotlight the Biden administration's handling of the southern border. Oh, a stunning loss last week that has now been totally reversed by one vote. Wow. Amazing. So dramatic. The impeachment comes as House Republicans have faced building pressure from their base to hold President Joe Biden and his departments and agencies accountable over immigration and border security policies. House Republicans claim Mayorkas has committed high crimes and misdemeanors for his handling of the southern border, even though several constitutional experts have said the evidence does not reach that high bar. And it doesn't matter what those constitutional experts say; it never matters what CNN's experts say. Only one cabinet official has previously been impeached in American history. Secretary of War William Belknap in 1876. Tuesday's vote was 214 to 213. Three Republicans, Ken Buck, Mike Gallagher, and Tom McClintock voted with Democrats against the measure. All three of them voted against the measure last week as well. Mike Gallagher has since announced His departure from Congress after this term, Ken Buck had already announced. And Tom McClintock, one of the only people who even sounded like a conservative from California, could be on his way out too. we shall see. The Department of Homeland Security said the House Republicans will be remembered by history for trampling on the Constitution following the vote to impeach. The impeachment, of course, will move from the illegitimate House to the illegitimate Senate. Democrat majority leader Chuck Schumer's office said in a statement, the House impeachment managers will present the articles of impeachment to the Senate following the state work period. Senators will be sworn in as jurors in the trial the next day. Senate president pro tempore Patty Murray will preside. This sham impeachment effort is another embarrassment for House Republicans. Schumer said. The one and only reason for this impeachment is for Speaker Johnson to further appease Donald Trump. Now, many of the news articles covering this impeachment say that this is being done to appease Donald Trump. Maybe it's just me. Maybe one of you has seen these messages. I don't recall Donald Trump suggesting that Mayorkas should be impeached. I could be totally wrong about that and just not thinking of it. But I doubt this is something that Donald Trump would push for because it has no chance of success and it wouldn't make any difference in the first place. I'm sorry to not be more positive about this, but this is an absurd waste of time. Now, I didn't think that this was going to make it to this stage. I am not thrilled that it has. I don't know why anyone is. Oh, we think we're going to stick it to that little gremlin who we're told controls the border, Alejandro Mayorkas. Oh, we're going to fight back against the Biden administration. That's not what's happening. We're just going to get another stage play playing out in the Senate. We're going to hear all the evidence about what Mayorkas has done. It's going to continue to push these border narratives forward. They might even be able to spin it to try to apply pressure to get people to pass that border bill they want to pass. And who knows what other traumatic events they'll be able to conjure up to tell us that Republicans have destroyed our southern border. The fake president, Joe Biden, responded this way in a statement. History will not look kindly on House Republicans for their blatant act of unconstitutional partisanship that has targeted an honorable public servant in order to play petty political games. I don't know what part of it is unconstitutional. Maybe the fake president can tell us. Ha ha. Just kidding. There's no way he could do that. Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas, a Cuban immigrant who came to the United States with his family as political refugees has spent more than two decades serving America with integrity in a decorated career in law enforcement and public service from his time in the justice department as a U.S. attorney to his service as deputy secretary and now secretary of Homeland security. He has upheld the rule of law faithfully and has demonstrated a deep commitment to the values that make our nation great. And of course, Joe Biden believes that of himself as well. Now, Biden mentions that Mayorkas is a Cuban immigrant, but that is only true by circumstance. It's not true by his ethnicity. His parents are both Jewish. His mother, as he has explained in weepy congressional hearings, escaped the Holocaust. Both Mayorkas's father and mother are Jewish, and Mayorkas is said to have dual citizenship but let's continue with the fake president's statement. This impeachment already failed once on a bipartisan vote. And that is bipartisan. You see, if three Republicans side with all the Democrats, that makes it bipartisan. Instead of staging political stunts like this, Republicans with genuine concerns about the border should want Congress to deliver more border resources and stronger border security. No, no, fake president. They should want you to do your job. That is all they should say. There is no need for them to be passing any further legislation. Sadly, the same Republicans pushing this baseless impeachment are rejecting bipartisan plans. Senator Mayorkas and others in my administration have worked hard on. To strengthen border security at this very moment, reversing from years of their own demands to pass stronger border bills, giving up on real solutions right when they are needed most in order to play politics is not what the American people expect from their leaders. Congress needs to act to give me, Secretary Mayorkas and my administration the tools and resources needed to address the situation at the border the House also needs to pass the Senate's National Security Supplemental right away. We will continue pursuing real solutions to the challenges Americans face, and House Republicans have to decide whether to join us to solve the problem or to keep playing politics with the border. And again, that is the spin. It is only House Republicans. The Senate Republicans are already on board with the unipartisan compromise. The House Republicans are not. They are too busy serving Donald Trump. And it is the House Republicans and Donald Trump who have created this border problem, according to the uniparty. And they are trying to sell that to the nation. They are using the special election last night as additional proof of that. And I imagine, by the way, that they might find some success in spinning this impeachment of Mayorkas as a clown show and a sideshow because it is a clown show and a sideshow. Now, I'm not going to be able to prevent you from getting all wrapped up into it. And there may be some things that come out during these hearings that are effective for our side from a narrative perspective. And that's all good. I'm not trying to take that away from you. I'm not trying to take it away from the information war. We can understand all those things, but we can also observe them from outside. We can look at them and see them for what they are rather than getting our emotions drawn up into this mainstream media narrative specifically designed to manipulate your emotions and lead you to having a bunch of beliefs that you would not otherwise have. And then people claim. Why can't you just let us have this win? This feels like a win. We want to celebrate this win. The answer is because we're not children. And if it's not a win, we're not going to pretend that it is a win. Just like we're not going to pretend that losing stolen elections represents a real loss. Tom Swasey winning that special election is not a loss for us or our cause. It might be a quote unquote loss for the Republican establishment, but the Republican establishment is the uniparty right, and the uniparty right is just the control opposition of the uniparty left. The uniparty was going to win that special election either way. So there is actually nothing to take from that. There is no lesson to be learned. We do not need to adopt these ridiculous narratives about immigration and abortion and voters in the suburbs or any negative effect Donald Trump might have because it's not real. And by the same token, impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas in the House, knowing that he's not going to be removed by the Senate and that even if he was, it wouldn't make a difference. That means that's not a win. It's not a win. You get a news cycle. If you want the news cycle, congratulations, you've got it. But that's not advancing our ultimate goal. And if the hearings do wonderful, but we can address that when the hearings happen. You can't say right now that this is a good thing because those hearings will help us We don't know that. Will it broadcast the border problems to more normies and wake them up? Maybe, but our goal should be to exist in an informational space where people can know that early at the time it matters, not be shielded from it by the mainstream media who then decides to tell them years later, oh, we got that one wrong too. It turns out it was the other way. Thank us now. Praise us now for finally telling you the truth. We don't have to do that. And if we continue to do that, then we will continue to get treated this way. If you don't demand better, you won't get better. And obviously the same holds true of the Russiagate reporting. Donald Trump said it himself. If you don't treat MAGA with respect, MAGA will stay home. Demand better to get better. Now, I thought I was going to take today off, but hey, lots of stories, big narratives, lots going on. Got to stay on top of it. Maybe I will take a break tomorrow. We shall see. But whether it's tomorrow or whether it's Friday, I will be back at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Maston and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do. By signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree Linktree.com slash I'mYourModerator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.